Welcome to the Julian Ho podcast, where I interview amazing and incredible innovators in the fields of health, wellness, and fitness. They share stories of their personal lives, their personal experience, and how that contributes to their professional lives, how it can help other people transcend the bridge between personal and professional development. In this episode, I interview my dear friend, Cassandra Hope. She is a movement coach, personal trainer, and a gut and hormonal expert. She has been a longtime friend, seemingly long-term friend, because I've met Cassandra and interacted with her for a solid year and a half and yet we've been able to connect on so many different areas in life so this conversation is quite an intimate but intellectual piece it was so lovely to speak to cassandra as a peer in the health and wellness industry and be able to shift gears from speaking as friends to speaking as professionals who respect one another very highly so without further ado, here's my interview with Cassandra Hope. Okay, so we have Cassandra Hope here on the Julian Hope podcast. And I'm very excited to talk to Cassandra because she's been a very dear friend over the last how long like maybe two three years oh babe it's only been a year a year that's it feels way longer though you know wow yeah and it's interesting to meet someone who kind of aligns in so many places and so many so many people have connected us we have so many mutual friends but what's also interesting is i don't meet very many people that um see me in all different parts of who I am. So the Julian Ho, that's Mr. 2.0 out there connecting with people, creating a vision and, and realizing that vision, but also just chilling out on the couch and no doing doubt. nothing with. No there doubt. aren't that many people in this world, especially in a short period of time to be able to do that with. So, yeah. So yeah, we roll say, really well. Yeah. I wanted to say like introduce this podcast as like, yo, this girl's my homegirl. Yeah. My homegirl. Anyways, um, for our listeners, could you um, introduce yourself as professionally as possible? Oh, oui, oui. <laughs> uh, so uh, my name is Cassandra Hope. I am a registered holistic nutritionist, and I have a specialization in the gut-brain connection as a mindset coach. Amazing. Yeah. So what got you into this world of gut-brain and all the things that you do? What got you, what got you started? Yeah. I mean, I share really openly about um, my relationship with my mother. Growing up, she uh, is undiagnosed, very mentally ill, and um, I haven't seen her since I was 12. So the experiences that I had with her before 12 were, I got a really deep look at a very young age into what mental illness looks like, severe mental illness. Um, to the point where, you know, scarcity of food and housing and protection and all of those basic essentials that a child needs to have growing up, um, I didn't have. So 
when I grew up and realized that, hey, my gut, my chronic gut health issues are completely tied to the traumas around, you know, somebody who suffered so deeply with mental illness. Um, I couldn't not learn about it. It was like, hey, if you want to have a good quality of life, you got to start to really understand your body and mm. understand why this is happening. Um, so I've suffered, you know, in many different ways, different intensities over the years with mental illness and addiction and chronic gut infections. So it's, I'm lucky that this is something that I want to do. It's, it's not just a hobby. It's like, I'm healing my body and in turn also helping others to heal themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. It's a very powerful reason to search for your purpose and be passionate about your work because it does, you know, hit home, right? It really hits home. I'm similar in that using fitness and wellness and health and becoming a coach and an advocate champion for a, a holistic lifestyle has been stemmed from, yeah, since I was a child, and really understanding that I had eczema, severe eczema as a kid, uh, atopic dermatitis, and my parents did their best to take me from one place to another, one dermatologist to a naturopath to some sort of healer, and then back to another dermatologist from one medication to one plant-based medication, just trying the full gamut until I was in university, riding the waves of my parents' efforts until I switched off the responsibility from them into my own and took the driver's seat, mm. did everything change? Mm. Yeah. So I felt guilty and responsible. And at a young age, it was maybe a lack of my parents putting ownership on me. I don't know if that wow. was like a, I think it was definitely out of uh, suffering. They saw suffering in myself and wanted to alleviate that, yeah. but wanted to do it in almost an overparenting kind of way. Yeah. So stemming back to your relationship with your mother and your childhood, a lot of the behaviors that are exuded now seem to be tied to our past. And until we take a full spectrum look throughout time and our history and the causes, then can we really start to understand. And it's a beautiful thing that you've made a career out of it. This means that there's so much more in you. There's a calling to this work. You know what's really funny? Yeah, what? Thank you for sharing that. It's completely, um, I feel you. And I, I, this story is a little bit on my website, but not in its full, full effect. But my mother, oh man, one day I'd like to write a book just about her experiences in life. But she grew up in a really rough part of Florida in the 60s and 70s and experienced a lot of trauma. And I know she had shared that she had had a few miscarriages and when she got pregnant with me, she um, said she just hoped and hoped and hoped and hoped and hoped that I would be born healthy. And I said, why did, you know, I asked her and I was a little girl, why'd you name me Cassandra Hope? Hope is my middle name, by the way. 
And she said, baby, because I just hope that you'd be okay and you are. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned about what happens in utero when a child is, you know, being created, the state of the mother is going to pattern their nervous system. And I feel like I have no other choice but to have this constant state of hope because of what she gave me during Mm -hmm. that time, you know? That's beautiful. Yeah, that's rad. I wonder how my mom... When she had twins, (laughs) stressed out to the max, in the hospital with my dad not knowing what to do and how to help. That whole hospital experience is traumatic. Giving birth is traumatic in this modern day with all the science that we have. But in the past, I don't necessarily think giving birth was a traumatic thing. It was a beautiful Mm. thing. It was with the entire tribe. It was natural. It was in an environment that was positive, that might've been surrounded by ceremony, a highest level of community spiritedness, like all of that stuff that you perhaps see in the movies, like avatar and whatnot. Communities and people are no longer part of the the journey you're so disconnected it's a, it's a disconnected birthing experience perhaps and that definitely goes to your point of in utero stress response and how it's kind of passed off through to the child which is quite difficult to kind of absorb and think about yeah yeah oh um, yeah what kind of things do you um on a practical level do you work with um, with clients so that people who are listening are like, uh, what is exactly you know a gut health specialist and all the things that you are? Yeah, yeah. Mindset coach, that kind of stuff. I mean, my area of specialty is is with the very sick and the very traumatized people who um, they come to me knowing, hey, I've got um, increasingly mounting. Uh, food intolerances and chronic constipation and pain and bloating and you know my hormones are dysregulated and I'm not sleeping and what we what we find as we start to peel back the layers is that there has been a primary relationship in their formative years that um, was traumatic so either a caregiver or a parent who didn't validate them didn't protect them there was maybe um, scarcity of, of food and money etc um, bullying, it's not always related to the parents, sometimes kids going through um, just the fear every day of going to school. What starts to happen is that the brain repatterns itself and the nervous system and the immune system repatterns itself. It's highly, highly intelligent. It's um, it's what's kept us alive for all of these millennia. So, you know, the, the beauty in my practice is helping people to understand that neuroplasticity is a very real thing. And the same way that the brain repatterns itself in a negative hemisphere, we can repattern it in a positive one that's more um, supportive of proper digestion, detoxification, immune uh, function. And this work takes time. So we have to deconstruct the mindset around what healing timelines look like and our worthiness of healing. So Mm. there's often a lot of narrative around, um, well, like, can I not get this done in uh, taking a 12 week round of a program or a certain supplement? And it's like, 
I'm not that practitioner that's going to sell you the world in a 12 week program. It's like, this is going to take time and each one is independent. Um, you know, I'm glad I have my background as a, a holistic nutritionist because I can help them with nutrition, but a lot of the focus, it's not meal planning and helping you navigate a grocery store. Those are other amazing nutritionists that can do that. Um, my focus is on helping them to feel like they understand the etiology of their symptoms and that they understand they have control um, over what happens to them in the future. Wow. Wow. What would you call this field? Because I feel I can hear the neuroscience. I can hear social, emotional health. I can hear visceral mm -hmm. health. Is there like a overall <laughs> field or, or like area of study other than the Cassandra Hope method? I know. Right. Seriously. I mean, as I'm doing my research, um, I'm seeing, you know, physiotherapists speak to it. I'm seeing different naturopathic doctors. Um, I think what's lacking in my experience as a patient as well is um, somebody who can pull in, you know, the nutraceuticals, the food and the mindset mm -hmm. and being able to say, hey, over exercise or high intensity interval training probably isn't going to nurture that part of the nervous system that we're nurturing. Um, I left out that I've been a personal trainer for 10 years. So I understand what's happening on the body side, the gut, yeah. the nutrition, a word for it. I mean, maybe we could brainstorm and come up with one because <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, I think that personal training background, same as myself, uh, is very valuable in designing programs and in an individual individualized way yeah. because quite often you see people um, either programming for a general populace not taking into consideration the all the the aspects that you had mentioned uh, in terms of the demographic of the person the background the nationality ethnicity the the occupational culture the timing, maybe the time zones. There's so many things to consider, but to be able to pull from your personal training background is seeing the person as they are, as they were, and then as they hope to be with uh, programming for their current goals and objectives. So you have a lot of data and resources to draw from, from your wide background. How does someone start to recognize that they need to seek someone like you? What are the things that come up? Don't you ever ask, hey, client A, how did you find me? Mm -hmm. Like, where are they finding you from? And like, what is your most, yeah, like channel in which people are kind of receiving you? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, as I'm, I've moved out of personal training, I've realized that that is a really fundamental connector for me and my clients because people often go to, okay, I feel like crap. I want to feel better. I'm going to work out. And what a lot of people don't know is in order to be healthy or in order to lose weight, which is often what they're thinking is going to be healthy. We need to get you healthy. Yeah. We don't get you moving and that's going to equal all of the health. They don't know that this is part of the mindset coaching too, right? Is it's like, let's deconstruct um, once we get them through the door and I get an understanding of what's happening on a digestion level and all of their symptoms and everything, um, you know, personal training, that whole model is, 
is difficult because people are expecting, okay, I'm going to pay you for an hour. You're going to kick the shit out of me and I'm going to get results. And I'm like, okay, there's a lot of coaching that goes in that hour. There's a lot of deconstruction of mindset. Um, there's a lot of getting you to understand or hopefully encouraging you to understand that getting your ass kicked isn't always the best route. Um, so that is a major way that people have found me over the last 10 years was Leslieville personal trainer. I've been in the East side for a long time. SEO is great on my website. Um, so that's one, one thing that I'm kind of sad to let go of, but it's a thing. And the other one is now, um, I opened a, the IBS Academy with a naturopathic doctor four years ago. And again, SEO is great. I'm known as a gut health specialist. People will come in thinking I need to clean up my gut and improve my gut health. Little do they know we also really need to work on the nervous system health. Mm. So what does that look like when people are uncertain? Cause they probably approach you for, well, Cassandra's going to definitely help me with working out with my diet, but neural programming, reprogramming, deconditioning, unlearning. Yeah. What is the coaching experience sort of feel like with you? Yeah, it's really great. Actually. It's lovely. Cause, um, I am not one to want to overwhelm anybody. Um, we move at a nice slow pace so or a pace that works well for somebody. So the intake is quite in-depth and I want to understand, you know, what are your symptoms surrounding infections, food addictions, blood dysregulation, um, you know, sleep hormones, all of that. And then I create uh, an initial program for them to follow. So we clean up the stuff that are like, like the first point of entry, which is let's get you off of the things that are upregulating or that are contributing to your symptoms. Let's replace them with things that are still giving you happiness, but less impact, negative impact on the body. Let's clean up the diet, reduce inflammation, and we see what other symptoms are still left. So let's say, you know, you do adhere to a whole foods diet. And after X amount of weeks, you're still severely struggling with sugar addiction. Um, what my job is, is to understand, is it biochemical or is it mood related? Hmm. Are these patterns that are ways for you to self-soothe, um, learned behaviors? And, and it, that's often what it is. Really? Oh. Yeah. So when we go back and we start to understand when was the first time you remember starting to have these behaviors and then they, they unpack all oh, my this person in my life was using these words or, you know, body shaming themselves or, you know, there's so many different stories that I've heard where it's like, do you see how that makes sense then? Mm. And how that's become who you are. That's a yeah. coping mechanism. Yeah. Then we talk about what happens on a neural um, pathway level. So, you know, the brain loves to conserve energy. It loves pattern. It's very binary, incredibly complex, but also incredibly simple where, Whatever you foster and nurture will grow. So if you want to continue that behavioral pattern, don't question it. But once you can have the awareness and you question it in the moment, you have huge amount of a huge amount of power in that moment to reroute neural pathways and create oh, wow. new patterns. I've, I uh, was speaking to another friend and guest on the podcast, Robbie Bent. I can't remember the actual acronym, but. He was explaining the pathways and that's really hard to break habit because it's been grooved in. It's like doing a ski route and you see the pattern 
on the mountain and that's been carved all the time because that's the best route and so to get out of the habit to not go into that route and then go off the path into something else is really difficult but you are just saying like when you catch yourself you have this like really precious moment to go through that same route that same path that's been traveled millions and millions and millions of times yeah to the point where you can choose to go down another route and it, and that's exactly it and i want to speak to the people who might be hearing that and thinking why can't i do that because i have the awareness but it's too painful there's a lot to unpack in that moment also right mm. so having a coach who can um, allow you to f- help you to feel safe in the moment and validated that that is a very real emotion and that's okay. There's probably a lot of traumas attached to stepping out and diverting from pattern. Mm. Diverting from pattern is hugely risky. Like it's, it's designed to keep us alive. Yes. So to say, Hey, you're safe. It's okay. And those sensations that you have, let's find out what those are. Uh. Is it a neuro um, chemical imbalance? Is it um, un unseen or unidentified, um, deeply rooted belief systems that we can, if you feel safe to, uh, bring to the awareness and start Mm -hmm. to work through that as well. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot, it's, we're speaking about blind spots, biases, compensation patterns, this whole world of like cognitive behavioral science, um, what are some common things that people tend to do with, let's say, uh, their like diet? Um, so, for example, let me give you an example. Um, you know, late at night, I like to snack. Yeah. If I want to break that habit, I'll have to find another way of reorienting my nighttime routine because mm. it's like my chance to break and just a chance to relax and mm. just zonk out from the crazy day. So what I think that justifies this act is that it's almost like a reward yeah, to be able to like eat chips and watch Netflix and just zonk out and enjoy, really enjoy a show just like I'm going to the movies. Yeah, And I think to myself, I think it's I'm I'm okay with keeping that as a quote unquote bad habit because I'm still very productive. Yeah. I'm still very physically healthy. Yeah. My gut health is strong. So it's not like this bad habit is completely overriding every good habit. If I was let's say depressed, non-productive, a strain on my family, and really not getting anywhere and digging myself into a deeper hole, then perhaps I could justify, dude, quit doing the chips and late night eating. Mm. But because I'm a high performer already, is it worth like cutting out? You know? No. Okay. I think it is that you hit you hit the nail on the head. It's if it is negatively impacting your body and your health in some way, and you're unhappy with that. You know, we have to respect people's um, position of autonomy. And we also Mm. want to be mindful of perfectionism tendencies. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you are an incredibly, not to, you know, um, psychoanalyze you, but picking up on your point, Mm -hmm. you're super highly productive. You're a machine. Mm -hmm. So your nervous system is going to want that comfort. It's going to want, you know, it is comfort to be able to sit and 
zone out and watch Netflix and have some chips. And that, that is a way of filling your cup back up, especially if you're not dealing with bloating and constipation or, you know, um, relapsing with old, um, issues that you might've had. It's Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I needed to hear that. I feel bad. You're great. Sometimes, you know, guilty. Uh, but then I also say to myself, you know, I'm I'm human as well. Yeah. And this is a validation from you to say that it, it is okay and that it is good to check in with being uh, being calm and, and like owning the fact that I want to enjoy these moments, like having a glass of wine and not having to be perfect and immaculate. Cause in that sense, that's not healthy either. Right? No, that is also a symptom of limbic system impairment. So, um, you know, the limbic system is the part of the brain that it, it, it can become hypervigilant when it's experienced trauma, being ostracized, um, the fear of being judged, the lack of connection. So if you're like, oh, me sitting at night and and eating chips and watching Netflix might cost me a relationship if I put myself out there because somebody's going to judge that. That is the limbic system in full force saying, "Uh -uh, perfectionism, clean it up. It'll ensure that you have connection. Connection is a deep human need, mm-hmm. right? So there's all these systems that are operating behind the curtain for when perfectionism is is at play that is um, probably showing up in other areas as well, I would guess. So you think pe- a lot of people say, um, you know, most, most issues that happen, happen because of yourself. You get in your own way. Yeah. So those people that are high performers, the machines, the A-types, typically are able to be self-aware they can self-manage a lot of them are actually quite who are leaders and mentors who are very empathetic and um, they have this like really great knack at social skill Mm. so when i see all these these qualities come out um, in myself and some of my peers and colleagues I definitely get in my own way. I end up beating myself up for the smallest of things. Mm. What are some things that you can help in terms of like kind of like checks and balances? Mm-hmm. Like what's on the, on the list of like Cassandra hopes top five, like checklist items. Like if your poo is this way, if you're thinking this kind of thoughts, if you're going to bed, like what are the things that we should be able to strive for? Not at like this mountainous level, but it's like this is the baseline things that you need to do to ensure that you are validating a healthy life. Because mm. I'm always kind of in question what my checklist is. Do you ever think about it that way? Oh, yeah. And as you're describing, you know, that personality type of somebody who's a type, really driven, very successful, but also empathetic. What I heard as soon as you said that, I was like, that is somebody who is really tapped into executive function, their ventral vagal state. So if you look at the polyvagal theory, the ventral vagal state is where you can be creative and high functioning and connecting. Um, you're not leading with your mobilization state, the part of the nervous system that is in fight or flight, that is hypervigilant, that is afraid. 
right? So we're tapping into a part of the brain that is actually changing humanity as a whole. Mm. And it's rooted in radical self-acceptance and self-compassion. I think the thing that people are missing the most is self-compassion. So what you, what I would suggest to be really um, aware of to train the brain and, and nurture the brain in a more health supportive state is practicing mindfulness and noticing how much self-criticism or self-assessment attached with negative emotion or any upregulating kind of sensations where your chest might be closing or your gut might be tight or your muscles are engaged or you have cyclical ruminating patterns. Those are the symptoms that you're nurturing a reptilian brain. You're, you're, Mm. you're nurturing a part of you that really is you're in fight or flight. Yeah. So you're kind of flipping out of the creative brain and then you're going into like fight or flight, uh, why am I thinking about this? Why should I, I should be doing this? Like the shoulda, woulda, coulda. Yes. Yes. When the practice that, that I am in right now is mindfulness plays such a massive role because it's an invitation constantly to assess what state is my nervous system in. So when I'm noticing, Oh, um, you know, I, through relationship friendships and intimate relationships, work relationships, you notice, okay, am I, am I doubting my, my delivery. Did I just walk out from that meeting or that session? And am I thinking, did they like me? Was that good enough? Those are all signs and, and symptoms that you're in that outdated frame of mind where when we can step in with self-compassion and go, I trust that if it wasn't good enough for any reason, that that information will come to me and I can deal with that maturely, calmly, and with with self-esteem, mm. you don't grovel, you don't hustle for your worthiness. Mm. You know, those are all things that I think we forget that it's okay to not be everybody's cup of tea. It's okay to not be perceived as the greatest. Mm. Um, that's going to happen. And at the end of the day, we need to protect this house yes. at all times. Yeah. Yeah. I, that really resonates that the amount of like self-doubt, and I hear it amongst my my peers that are leaders too. They ask like, hey, was that okay? Did I sound like I was clear? Did I get my point across? There's there's moments of that. And then there's moments of, you know what? I did what I could and I gave it my all. And I'm really happy and proud of myself for stepping into this world of discomfort. Whether people loved it or not, it actually doesn't matter to me because I know I was proud and I love what I had to say. And there's that like trust, trusting in yourself. And I think that's a really, really important thing. And that's like literally when people say, listen to your gut, go with your gut. Like that's like a really important, uh, I guess like phrase that allows people to feel confident in who they are. Um, I'm going to take that one. That's a really, really good one to, to not kind of be nervous about what you've just put forward. Yeah. I mean, I think about the, um, I was watching your stories the other day and I was like, Oh my God, look at all of these pictures of you that are, you're just blasting through that finish line and nobody's in sight, you know, and you're crushing these races and you've done the heavy lifting, you've done the training and brain rewiring or retraining the brain is training for the triathlon is training for the iron. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm watching your stories and I'm seeing you, you know, 
first one crossing that finish line and there's nobody else behind you and you're just blasting that race and you've trained for that. You've trained in the gym, you've trained your mindset, you've done the heavy lifting. And, you know, retraining the brain is the same. It's, it's, you're strengthening that muscle through strategic programming to allow it to really be its best. And, you know, we don't live in a society. I believe we don't live in a society that really fosters that. There's a lot of um, hierarchical one-upping. A lot of people want to tear each other down, and we're kind of in this constant defensive mindset of, "Am I enough? Am I doing good enough? Am I going to be liked? Am I going to be seen?" And it's almost like, you know, if you can if you can relate that back to your Ironman training or anybody training for fit, physical health, it doesn't make much sense to jump into a workout, get going, you're in your flow, you're sweating, you're feeling connected, and then you walk back out of the gym again. And you just hang out outside for a bit when nothing is nurturing you out there. Mm. Why would you disrupt that flow? Mm. But see how hard it is. You have to keep coming back to it, keep coming back to it. It's not just one hour, it's daily. Yes. Minute to minute. Yeah, yeah. It's like, um, I mean, it's, you say it's like I'm training a muscle. Yeah. But being able to train the connections between the brain and body, that itself is a muscle. And how to how those things speak together is training that voice, that narrative, that confidence in the inner dialogue. That's another muscle to work on, that self-talk. So I myself have a lot of experience in mindset coaching because it takes quite a mindset to get to the start line of an ultra marathon race through the race when there's self-doubt pain you're in it you're feeling all the feels and then to that finish line and through the finish line mm. it takes a lot and it takes a different mindset at each of these phases people say showing up is half the battle yes it could be more it could be a higher ratio for some people it could be very low on the ratio level of like showing up is only 10%. 90% takes you to, you know, is the rest of the race. And so how people divide that is obviously really dependent on their preparedness and their readiness level. Can you speak to the mindset of getting to the start line? Because I think it's valuable for, let's say, leaders who are in this audience who are looking to uh, either start something new, pivot their business, change a mindset, or, mm -hmm. or relinquish themselves of a bad habit. Mm -hmm. What are some things you can share with people looking to make change to just get to the start line of a new thing? Mm -hmm. like what are some things that they can think about? Yeah. So two things come up for me as I'm hearing you ask that question. Um, I would say one thing is humility. Um, just knowing that having that belief of, okay, things are good. Things are good. Maybe they're not good, but let's say this is a, an entrepreneur or somebody who's, you know, business is going well. I, I know my craft. I like, I'm doing well. I'm doing great. Um, when we get too comfortable in that mindset, and we don't question whether we could grow or do more. We can have that question without the idea that that sub belief system of, and in asking of myself to do that, that also means that 
I'm still worthy. Mm. I'm still worthy. It's okay to be humble and saying, I've got room to grow. There are things that I can learn from other people. I don't need to know it all. You know, knowing it all, I think, is also a symptom of trauma. Mm. Um, and it's a, a very highly intelligent way of us to protect ourselves until we're ready to look at the traumas. Mm. Um, so, you know, checking in and asking, what else do I want here? What yeah, can I learn? Growth How can mindset. I grow? Yeah. yeah, knowing that you can change the natural gifts and abilities and skills that you've had is like, no, I can improve on myself all the time. All the time. That's really important. Yeah. yeah. And the second one I would say is, um, you know, people often want to change, I find, when they are so fed up with the pain. And whatever that pain looks like, if it's physical pain or emotional pain, um, when they have reached their threshold of living with that state and you know a lot of people will um i find they'll really discount those symptoms that are ever mounting until it reaches that threshold because there is there there are things that people don't want to look at underneath mm -hmm. that it could be really painful it could be related to traumas <laughs> mm. um i keep going back to that because you know in trauma we're talking big t's and little t's it's not just the abusive home neglectful home it can also be you know being ostracized um bullying having a teacher who didn't believe in you you know you lose that that confidence and that ability to say it's okay that i don't know it's okay that things aren't okay right now. And I trust that I'm going to find the way, mm -hmm. you know, we can have both. The, the brain is incredibly black and white in its design. Um, that's to conserve energy. So when we step out of that black and white mindset and we say, hold on, I can need to work on myself because I have these symptoms or these not only physical, but mental, emotional symptoms and be worthy throughout the whole process of respect, self-respect and respect of others. Um, if anything, I think the right people that you'd have in your life will see that as such strength mm. in your vulnerability. Yeah. yeah. You know? That's great. So humility and vulnerability to get you to the start line of a new venture. Yeah. I think that's really important because then that kind of sets you up with uh, maybe a recalibrated sense of expectation, especially if it's new because pulling in the baggage of one project or one initiative into a new initiative is not fair to that new one. And I think about right. it in like relationships, like romantic relationships. I think it's really important to have a pause from one to mm -hmm. the next because there's going to be a mourning of that past relationship because you've grown a certain version of yourself and you've latched on to that person. But if that breaks up and changes, jumping into the next thing will bring a whole host mm. of past baggage into the new one that shapes it in a way that may not be as authentic as it deserves the new one. So, it's, so I think of that like in my relationships yeah. and then how I transition. And it's those transitional times that I find um, quite valuable. Yeah. Cleansing of the palate. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, to end this podcast, I'm going to talk forever, which yeah. we'll continue chatting after this. But no um, are there any like 
golden nugget takeaways or things that you can share with, you know, tips for like myself or high performers Mm -hmm. to maybe avoid burnout, some practical tips to take care of the gut. Definitely. Stuff like that. Yes. So I think, um, you know, neuroscience is such an incredibly new world and it usually takes about 10 years of research to be out for you know any medical community to start to really give it merit um and incorporate it into their practices so if you are a high achiever and you want to have your finger on the cutting edge pulse of evolution i would say study the polyvagal theory it's incredibly easy to understand once you start to look into it because the nervous system, the vagus nerve is what's controlling your digestion. It's what's controlling executive function. It's what's controlling your ability to be creative, connect, detox the body, regulate heart rate. It's, it's the, in my opinion, the most fascinating thing to study in human optimization. So if you can learn the three pronged, you know, states Um, dorsal vagal mobilization and ventral vagal state, and you start to look at your behavior and your patterns in your day and notice how much am I in a mobilization or dorsal dorsal vagal state? And is that going to nurture my ability to really grow and be the best I can be? And how much am I in a ventral vagal state? And how much can I celebrate being in a ventral vagal state? Because emotion strengthens synapses. So celebrate your ability to connect celebrate your ability to be in the moment, to be in your body, to enjoy life, to laugh with people you love, to be proud of the work that you produce, because that strengthens those hemispheres of the brain Mm. um, that really help you to have great digestion, Mm. great connection, great detoxification, all those things. So what's the, what's an example of the dorsal? Dorsal is state there. Yeah. It's interesting because we're going through it right now. It's immobilization. It's depression. It's spacing out. It's lack of connection. It's being um, removed from society. Hmm. Um, So, you know, and then there's a a cascading downstream effect that happens in the body and the immune system and digestion when you're in that state. That's why depression is painful for people. Yeah. Um, There's a difference between solitude and like quiet time Yeah. to that. Oh, yeah. You can be in your ventral vagal state. Um, in executive function and in the moment through meditation. And that's a wonderful way to nurture the vagus nerve. Mm. Um, Immersing your face in really cold water for 10 seconds a day. Gargling every time you brush your teeth just for 30 to 60 seconds. These are things that strengthen the the vagus nerve, that strengthen Mm. the, the ventral vagal state. Your ability to be responsive to any of those three um three-pronged approaches or Mm -hmm. recruitments, you know, you don't want to only be in the the dorsal and mobilization state. Um, Our society really doesn't, um, doesn't really, I use the word foster a lot because it's so great, but it doesn't nurture our ability to strengthen the vagus nerve and our parasympathetic states. So think about humming and chanting and laughing and, you know, um, all of these, these things that we probably did in the past, you know, you whistle your way to work or hum your way to work. No, now we're texting and we're yeah. thinking five steps ahead and that's nurturing the mobilization state. You're in fight or flight when that's happening. Right, right, right. 
kind of respecting humanness in us yeah. and celebrating it through these kinds of simple practices as opposed to, you know, using technology to help yeah. fulfill us. Yeah. Using the medium of technology to help us because we all have the ability within. It's just maybe not getting lost in the pace of change that everyone's going through yeah. and that the world is going through. Um, that was great. That was great. That was really nice. Thank you. So how can people reach out to you for more coaching and consulting yeah. and whatnot? Yeah, great. Thank you. Um, so I write a lot. On, I blog a lot on my website and on Instagram, and it's bewellwithhope.com. Um, on Instagram, it's bewellwithhope. And I just launched a YouTube channel where um, I'm interviewing a lot of leaders, naturopathic doctors, different practitioners, and we're having longer discussions about all of the things related to the polyvagal theory, gut health. Amazing. All of that. Yeah. Wow. I'm looking forward to looking all that stuff up. And uh, yeah, it's been quite a pleasure oh, talking, talking with you on this like professional level. And then now let's, we're going to wrap and then talk on a yeah, chill yeah. level. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. I love it. Thank you so much. That was great. Thanks, Cassandra. And there you have it. My wonderful interview with Cassandra Hope, who's a certified mindset coach, registered holistic nutritionist, and certified personal trainer, and also a great friend. For more episodes on innovators in health, wellness, and fitness, keep up to date on my blog, on my website, on my Instagram at julianho.ca. Can't wait to share more amazing humans with you.